if you have to stay up all night to learn 55 songs and then you have to show up with five violins and three binders of music and a music stand and high heels and have your hair done <laughs> and be 15 minutes early and you had to take the train because you don't have a car. Yes, you have to do all of that and have a smile on your face when you get there. And hopefully you enjoy it. You know, Hopefully you enjoy making the music once you get there. Otherwise, uh, it might not be the best fit. This is Redefine Rock, showcasing orchestral rock stars who took their classical foundation and brought it into alternative genres. So this podcast began with us at Maine Youth Rock Orchestra, wanting to show our students professional musicians who started off only as classical performers, but took their skills and went on to share the stage with Foo Fighters, Britney Spears, Kesha, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and yes, Beyonce. Quickly after this first interview though, we realized that the stories and insight they share can apply to anyone who wants to make a large impact professionally. Our first guest, well, just straight up rocks. A lot. Uh, my name is Jenny Luke, and I am an electric violinist and vocalist, songwriter, producer. I live in Los Angeles, and I started violin and piano when I was three. I started dance when I was four, tap jazz ballet. Okay, nice. Started acting in musical theater when I was four, and my dad was a conductor, and my mom was a pianist, so they directed a lot of musicals and some operas until I was about 14. And I started playing classical music on a higher level um, and traveling probably around the age of nine and then with orchestras around 13, 12, 13, 14. Wow. Okay. And it was hard work, but it prepared me for a career in Los Angeles now. So now I'm about to go on tour in September. Uh, with the official Prince tour, Prince for You. It's run by the Prince Estate. And I'm very thankful to my parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, for kind of helping me with this combination of skills. Because I mean, did, did you ever think, did you ever think that when you were, you know, starting at the age of three, four and doing classical music, or, I mean, did you even know who Prince was when you were three or four? Maybe not three or four, but by the time I was, six or seven, I knew Prince and Michael Jackson from my brother's cassette tapes. Okay. And I was obsessed with pop music. And then my other brother introduced me to rock music when Napster was big. So then I discovered the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters, who I did their record this year. So I got to work with them, like, in person this year. Um, and a lot of people, Evanescence, um, they're still touring, I think. And I really got into some artists who I ended up working with later. So I think the people you listen to and you study as a child or in your younger years and you get really excited about, that really informs your sound and what you like and what you're drawn to. And I think if you end up moving to a major city, it's very likely that you run into those people and you end up working with them. You know? Yeah. And so going back to like, you know, your foundation where you started, what, what made you choose, what made you think like that violin, as, you know, you, you say you play, you're an electric violinist and a vocalist, you know, but 
it, would you say violin is your primary instrument? To me, I feel like they're both the way I express. And I feel like maybe I'm known more for electric violin or violin, I'm not sure. Um, but I, as an artist, am trying to have a voice with both, with the combination, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I want to kind of break the boundaries of just being a violinist or just being an instrumentalist because I do sing and I I feel like when you play a string instrument, you're supposed to be so serious. There's all of these ideas around it. And I kind of want to just break those because I just like performing in this unique way, you know. And maybe some other people like to tap dance and play the violin or play the ukulele and play the violin. So I kind of think, oh, okay. I just think, what what do I want to do now, you know? I kind of leave it open, at least for myself, artistically, how I think about it. And you mentioned a single coming out, Love Hypocrisy, which is mainly 90% of it is vocal-based. Like it's you sing and then you have one violin instrumental towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a good chance for you to kind of not be, not put yourself in the box as a violinist, electric violinist, but as a multi-instrumentalist and to show off what you can do just outside of just one instrument. That's really important to me that my message is reached um, and heard globally. That, And I decided this when I was like six years old, I think. I was probably at like a Britney Spears concert. And then I thought, I want to write songs that everyone connects to. Mm. And I think that's why singing is a big part of my performance style. Because you you know, lyric writing, and you have the opportunity to talk to people through song and through music. So I think a good harmonic foundation, like an instrument, and then a good poetic foundation or a lyrical foundation, if you study songwriting or you study theater or whatever you study, um, if you like to write songs, then I think that's a good way to prepare to be a songwriter. And and like going back to like you know so you're you're doing all this outside of the realm of classical, um, but you started off playing in symphonies and and playing and, and traveling with, with symphony orchestras, including playing Carnegie Hall. What was the first experience outside classical music like? Do you remember? Does that like a clear memory to you? Like the first show you played with a rock pop artist that wasn't classical, but everything that you have worked towards for all those years has like mm-hmm. paid off. Mm-hmm. I think I have two. The first one is a jazz group that my parents made me join when I was eight. And the reason I got my electric violin then was because there were a bunch of horns and drums and we couldn't hear the violin yeah. the jazz ensemble. And the jazz ensemble was cool, but I kind of thought like, oh, these kids aren't serious like me. And later I realized how important it was for her improv skills. 
so like so you had these amazing experiences um you know going and now you have this this roster of just artists you shared the stage with um how does that feel like i mean you're like even so like fame was was a decade ago for you and now uh, 10 years later like all this has happened I mean, is this surreal to you still or is it because it's kind of like now just day-to-day normal and it doesn't doesn't kind of phase you as much <laughs> you know as far as the artists like the high level artists or according to the charts the billboard charts they're high level yes um some of them i'm like oh, yeah, I remember when I did that. Or some of them I forget, and then I have to look at my list <laughs> if people ask. You know, because we work really hard, like, in L.A. Everybody is working really, really hard who stays in the music game, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes things go really fast, and it's easy to kind of forget or not acknowledge what you've accomplished. And sometimes experiences are really informative and transformational. Like I loved Britney Spears as a kid. The reason I wanted to be a performer was Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, Prince, and then like Hillary Hahn. (laughs) (laughs) So when I recorded with Britney, that, that was a day that was like, Oh my gosh, I think I've made it in a certain way, you know? Um, Well, and, and, and like, you know, and of course, like you have so many years ahead of you as well, but like being in your twenties and and playing with Britney, who's one of the biggest pop stars of all time, and just you know that that's just got to be the most incredible feeling, especially as someone you looked up to growing up. Yeah, that that session in particular was like, oh my gosh, I was a fan <laughs> girl, but I stayed really professional. I was gonna say, did you were you able to maintain it and keep it in, or and oh, yeah. rather than just freak out? <laughs> Of course, yeah, because I I knew how much I was affecting the session in a good way, like musically. I knew, wow, I have an opportunity here to really shape this music. I'm going to take that really seriously, but have fun while doing it. You know, there's so many newer artists that are coming up, like Shawn Mendes played with him and then Daniel Caesar, and it's interesting how important it is to keep up working with new artists and new producers because maybe in 10 years Britney Spears doesn't tour anymore or something you know yeah or maybe she does and then people are like oh well who have you played with recently and it's interesting there's a little bit of that pressure so I'm always trying to listen to new music like the newest hottest of every genre not just pop rock even jazz you know like Kamasi Washington and Thundercat and Cameron Graves, like I'm all about the cool kids who's coming up because those are the people that are going to influence the next 10 years usually. And I hope yeah. to be one of those at some point in the next few years. Talking to our, you know, our students and they're all classically trained. You know, our students have, have played in four years, they played with 40 artists um, from across mm-hmm. the States. And, but like to the person who's not done this for a living yet what are some of the things that were kind of crucial for you in the formative years of getting to where you are now where you get to you know share the stage with Britney Spears and do this Prince Prince tribute show and um, what are some things that you could really that really resonate with you that are kind of the cornerstone for getting to where you are at now Mm. well congratulations I looked at your website and your roster and that's so exciting (laughs) 
so exciting for these students as well. It's really great. Um, some advice I would have in formative years for growth and to prepare for the industry would be take every gig you get in the beginning, unless it seems really not constructive. But other than that, use your instincts, of course, but take every gig you can. Meet every musician you can in whatever city you're in. And learn every style you can. I had to learn country fiddle and different kinds of fiddle, Appalachian fiddle, Texas fiddle, Nashville fiddle, bluegrass, uh, Appalachian, you know, all these types of fiddle. And then I had to learn Persian violin and Turkish violin. And then I had to learn these different styles of jazz violin. Uh, and then I had to learn electric light orchestra backgrounds and licks so that I could quote them. And all of these things kind of came at me quickly. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so much. One night I had to stay up all night and learn 55 country songs for the next day to pay my rent. And wow. I think when you're put in that situation, you can either rise to the occasion or you don't, and then you don't get called again. And um, I think that is really important, musical diversity and being willing to learn fast when you're in the professional environment because other people are not going to wait around for you to learn it like in recording sessions or on the big, they're just not going to call you again. But if you have a great attitude and you want to learn and you keep learning, then it just becomes more and more fun throughout your whole life because then you have more to speak from and more types of styles to play from and more types of people you meet. I mean, I didn't know country music was going to be such a good vibe and such a good hang. You know, I've really become friends in Los Angeles with the country community and similarly with the jazz community. You know, you meet all these different people with different stories and then you connect on different levels that way. Was, was like, as far as the skill set, like, were you able to, like, you know, coming from a, base, a classical foundation, like, were you able to, how did ear training come in, learning by ear and, mm. um, and, and understanding music theory, like, I, that's clearly, a, as a working musician, you, you have to have those down without a question, uh, mm. you know, and quickly. What, did it come easy to you, or was it, was it something that was a challenge? Um, I never liked studying theory, but my family made me do it. Like my mom and my brother Wes had workbooks and my mom taught music theory at high schools and colleges. And then my dad is a conductor. So in my family, and this might be unique for some, and then this might be totally the same for other people who have musical families. I would kind of feel silly if I didn't understand what was going on musically around my family or if I was in a musical environment even at a young age and something was brought up about theory and I didn't really understand it I would go make it a point to look it up later or figure it out later and I still do that and then I knew I needed that in my college education and I don't think everybody needs to graduate college but I do think college really helps get on a higher level. So I studied keys and voice at Musicians Institute, and keys helped me with jazz 
and rock theory. And then I studied vi classical violin at Colburn School of Music for a while, that, and I studied conducting there, too. So then I understood, you know, more classical theory. And then I went to California Institute of the Arts for most of my undergrad. And I had to play in, like, eight orchestras there and study with mm. a mentor and conducting. And I read so I had to study 12-tone music, so much stuff. <laughs> And it was really good for me now as a session and touring musician because my ear pretty much understands everything. Um, if there is some high, high-level theory that's being discussed, which is actually pretty rare at sessions because you're, you're moving really fast, um, then I usually understand what's going on. So, yeah, it's really important. It's not my favorite, but now... I just know it's important, you know, it, there's no way to make music if you don't understand the alphabet that you're using. Going back in the, one of the first things you mentioned was as most classical performers, it's very straight faced and very stern looking uh, and very serious looking. What did it take for you to like loosen up and have fun on stage and be a performer? Did, did having that, that dance and that musical theater to mm. background, like did, did that help with it at all? Or was it just something that you just had to kind of like force yourself to do and look like you're having fun, even if like you aren't. So mm. um, That's yeah, what did it take? Such a good question. Um, the dance background really helps. The theater background helps, especially in facial expressions and presence, the way you hold your body on stage, which is like how you hold your instrument, how you walk out on stage, how you bow, um, the way you look at the audience. It's really important to me to look into the eyes of my audience. And some people don't love to do that, but I think that's one thing that has helped my career, really connecting with the audience. And actually, that's why I just got picked for this tour. Um the tour manager and casting director told me literally my presence, not, I mean, it's partially my musical skill, but I think your presence plays such a big role in how the audience takes you in, you know, and supports you. And I think sometimes I would maybe have a bad day or not really feel like performing, but I always had this standard of, professionalism or of a good show like nothing matters more than the show in this moment and I'm going to give it everything I have because all these people put this effort into this piece whether it's a concerto with orchestra or it's you know a pop show or something and if you look at some of the best performers they all believe that and they all act on that James Brown you know Beyonce um even all the, you know, I'm sure Ita Perlman and Yo-Yo Ma have bad days, but they choose to focus. And that, and like, and they're, and the whole point, like, you know, your audience is there to, to take in what you're giving them, you know, to take in all the music and to take in the the performance as a whole. Like, you know, if they want to just go listen to it at home, they can listen to it at home. But they're there to see you. So I, it's, you know, what you're saying is that. You're, you're by making eye contact with the audience and looking at them and acknowledging them and building that that connection. You know, you're it's kind of like inviting them into this concert, and then it's your job to keep them engaged as a performer, not just musically, but at, but but visually. 
Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it. I just the game show. We actually um, oh, almost after our very first show, we went from sitting down as an orchestra to standing up because the mm-hmm. second we stood up, you know, we we only the cello sit right now, and the second the students stood up, they started to move, and I said like, don't keep your feet together. Just relax your knees and just have fun. And the second that clicked for them, they just started to move and enjoy it more. And it wasn't so stiff. And it became, it it, it became not not like a, a chore or trying to achieve a perfection, but it came to in really just enjoying the moment and and having fun. And I think that's such a huge part to um, encouraging students to keep music going past high school. It's not always working towards a concert. It's working towards um, a skill set to take with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it totally translates into uh, business and how you present yourself to the world. I really agree with that. Did you, as far as your confidence level with, with playing as a musician, did it change once you started playing alternative genres or was it kind of always there? My confidence level? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, and there's always that competitive fire that went on in classical because I wanted to prove that I was the best violinist in the room. Okay. But I was from Iowa. Okay. (laughs) At these summer camps, I would go to summer camps and then, you know, like Meadowmount, that's like one of the Juilliard prep camps and then encore and aria music festival in canada and i was usually the youngest one or one of the youngest and then i would have a reality check um but then i would go back to iowa and i would still study really hard at the prusin school of music and they have a great classical program there for kids and then i went to interlochen so at interlochen i was doing acting and singing and violin and that's when I knew, okay, I'm going to put myself in a little bit of a different category in my brain because I'm not just trying to play concertos now. And I also played with a jazz combo there. So then I just felt different but still confident. And then when I got to L.A., <laughs> um, I was in a girl group, and I felt very confident because we were fully supported and we had tour buses and that was cool. And then when that ended, my confidence really plummeted. It just, I just felt worthless. And that's so silly, but I think it's because I didn't have an environment to prove myself in, and I had to start from scratch, like in the city. So then when I got called for Meatloaf and I did that tour, that amped up my confidence again. And ever since, you know, those years were like a roller coaster ride, and now it's getting more it's like more of a line, a straight line, um, because I just put in hard work and believed on the days when it was really hard to believe in myself. And I think that hard work has made me now stable and kind of established in the industry. So now my yeah. confidence doesn't waver as much. But I think every musician is going to go through that their whole lives. If you look at the biographies of famous musicians you know that's part of the that's part of our field I think and it's okay okay. yeah I think it's totally 
natural and we have to embrace it and just surround ourselves with people who love us and remind us of who we are. So I had one last thing to ask you and, and this is, it was more of to our students who are currently youth orchestra, like who they, they have a stacked resume. They, you know, they have the skill set. They, they, they love what they do. You know, what to you does, does it take to get to that next level? So either whether they're going to do it for a living or if they're going to do it um, as a side, as a side hustle, you know, what are, when you mentioned hard work, like when you say hard work, what is something you can kind of display to them and tell them what it really takes to get to where you are at your level uh, today? I would say hard work in the music industry encompasses a willingness to move to the cities where you have to establish yourself. And that might be away from your friends and your family, and that's sad sometimes, but um, hopefully your success will enable you to visit them, you know, a few years down the line. And not that you can't be with your friends and family, but sometimes you just have to be in the bigger cities. So that's number one, and that's hard sometimes. Number two is uh, getting all of your press materials in order, like your website, your business card, your social media. You have to have a social media page, like your Instagram has to be music-based, and it should not have stupid stuff on it. Um, If you have to create a different one for your music, that's fine. Um, And I know it's fun to post everything on social media, but you are curating your brand and your image through your social media. So whether you're 16 years old, you could be considered for an international tour. You know, there's so many people who start touring young or get sessions young. Um, so really considering yourself as a professional now, I think that's a huge thing. And and in doing so, being on time for gigs, even the free ones, uh, being prepared, learning the music. If you have to stay up all night to learn 55 songs and then you have to show up with five violins and three binders of music and a music stand and high heels and have your hair done <laughs> and be 15 minutes early and you had to take the train because you don't have a car. Yes, you have to do all of that and have a smile on your face when you get there. And hopefully you enjoy it. You know, Hopefully you enjoy making the music once you get there. Otherwise, uh, it might not be the best fit. Uh, but even on those days when it's hot and, and you don't really feel like it, knowing what you're committed to doing and trying, just trying, looking for every resource. You know, if you don't have the money to keep going in a big city, finding a couple jobs or teaching uh, students to keep you going through that time because you will break through. If you're a good musician, you will get gigs. And if you're a nice person and you're driven, you will succeed. It will happen. It just takes a couple years, you know. So I think every person is capable of it if they're good and they're committed. You can catch Ginny Luke on the road on the Prince For You tour. Tickets are available at foryouprince.com. Also looking for her work with Saga Strings and her personal page. You can find Saga Strings at sagastrings.com and find information about her at ginnyluke.com. Thanks for listening to Redefine Rock. We'll rock with you next week.